Making It Plain, a podcast dedicated to discussing real issues that impact Black communities, Black families, and Black women. Your host, Dr. Key, is dedicated to discussing Black issues in a way everyone can relate. Welcome to Making It Plain podcast. I am your host, Dr. Key. In this episode of Making It Plain, we are discussing mental health literacy among Black families with our guest, Dr. Tierra Belcher, assistant professor, researcher, and licensed mental health counselor, and Mr. Ricky Key, licensed resident counselor specializing in marriage and family therapy. Welcome, Dr. Belcher and Mr. Key. Are you with us? Uh, Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here with you. Well, we're excited to have you both with us today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So recently, I went to a lecture by Dr. King Davis, and he is currently looking into archiving information from the Central Lunatic Asylum for Colored Insane. This asylum was established in 1885. And during his discussion, he talked about all these different documents and things they found, and they began to make some... um, I guess you can say some assumptions and then analyzing some data that gave them different insight into this asylum. And some of the things that they actually found was that families in 1885 and beyond for as long as the asylum was open had low mental health literacy. Now these are black families because remember the asylum was for the black um, population. And so he talked about this low mental health literacy, which was basically families' ability to understand mental health, mental health treatment, you know, mental health challenges, what they should do, and how um, basically the system was able to capitalize over that lack of, lack of understanding and put a lot of people into this asylum. Well, he also mentioned how Black families today still have this low understanding of mental health. And that I found that very interesting because one of the things that I do is like to talk to different um, environment, talking in different environments about mental health because there is so many issues right now with black children. And so in my research, I wanted to get an understanding and share with our audience what we what we mean by mental health literacy, when did this term come about? And this term was actually coined by Anthony Jorm who is a researcher, and he defined mental health literacy as knowledge and beliefs about mental disorder, which aid their recognition, management, or prevention. Researchers contend that mental health literacy is much lower amongst Blacks. It is argued that the lack of help-seeking behaviors for mental health among Black families is due to this lack of mental health literacy. Now, I invited you both here today because both of you are working in the community or have worked in the community with Black youth and Black families. What are your views on this argument of mental health literacy? Okay, well, I'll say, I'll start out. Um, So I do think there's been a shift in mental health literacy and there's a greater awareness of mental health than in the past. So not arguing necessarily what has been occurring historically, but I do think that Looking at the populations of people I've worked with, I've had people on both ends of the spectrum. So ones that advocate more readily for their children and themselves to access uh, mental health 
treatment. And then those who, of course, like minimize the symptoms because no one has believed in them, maybe when they were kids or just no one in their family talks about mental health. So I, I think it is, we're starting to transition a little bit more into people having a greater awareness. And I, and I, and I, I definitely agree with, with her, uh, her perspective on that. And that's additional wide range of concerns that contribute to the lack of mental health literacy. And that's a sense of being unsure about, you know, seeking help and determining what we're expressing as a black individual or what, it, what, or what is actually harmful or detrimental enough to seek mental health services. And sometimes that can actually be, be accompanied by negative stimulus, stimulus that, you know, unfortunately invades the mentality of a black culture further, further become the detriment to mental health literacy. Um, black men especially, uh, you know, black men grow up uh, from childhood being taught that men don't cry. And, and with black people being a strong-willed culture, you know, we believe that we can handle almost anything. You know, various stressors and ability to navigate numerous obstacles. You know, and within the black community, you know, that's that's intestinal fortitude. That seems to be an innate element of the black person. You know, something that we had to endure over many years through slavery and the civil rights era. So, you know, you always have the mentality that I can deal with this. I can handle this situation while I'm built for this. You know, so, so it sometimes exhibits, you know, a, a significant level of strength, hope and confidence. But we must be careful, you know, as well. So and I say that because we can get caught up in a symptom of complacency. Um, that actually prevents us from recognizing the underlying issues leading to mental health issues. But I do believe at this point we are, you know, progressing toward understanding what mental health is in the Black community. But at the same time, we sometimes, you know, don't seek the knowledge surrounding mental health literacy. And there's a common theme amongst Black culture that states that Black people always have to work harder and fight harder, which can sometimes be seen as a strength. But as a Black community or Black culture, we embody that concept and I heard it plenty of times in my profession, and Black people take take pride in our struggle as well. So this can be a great value that to envelop as a Black person. However, let's not allow what we view as strengths to act as a disguise to allow pride, shame, and you know dishonesty set in, and find us up hitting those strong values that represents and identify who we are as a people, and prevent us from getting the help that we need. So definitely, we, we, there is progress and movement to understanding mental health literacy, but still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that insight. So what role does mental health literacy play in parents actually getting treatment for children? I think it, it plays a role in the sense of how soon does the treatment actually begin. So with greater awareness of parents, uh, would, they would know an earlier sign that a child is in need uh, of, of mental health treatment, which could impact the lifetime impact of, for the child. So if the parent sees something this excessive acting out, something like that, where it's like, I've had other kids and, you know, they were rambunctious, but they didn't quite do stuff to this degree. Let me go out and seek help. We could possibly catch something earlier instead of it getting to a point where now we have a child that is in a detention center or having to go in to be with a probation officer for the first time. And that's when someone is stepping up to help them. And recognizing their their behaviors, that's why a parent interaction is very important. You know, how to interact with our child. So parenting style is very important. Recognize certain behaviors, the changes and the differences in our behavior. A parent's perception of mental health is actually important as well because it impacts the parent's mental health literacy. How a parent views themselves impacts that as well based on their own experiences. And it plays a role in how they seek mental health services for their own children. You know, so while working with kids in mental health, one of the common problems parents share is that counselors, you know, they may quickly diagnose black children with ADHD and immediately prescribe medications with, which contributes, you know, to the increased mistrust blacks have 
towards counseling professionals. You know, and I've worked with parents who of children who have mental health issues, and those parents have had mental health issues as well, and they don't even trust, you know, the mental health professional. You know, so and that and that plays a role as well. So when they see their children act out. And when they see their children do certain things or have certain behaviors, they they look at it, it's not a big deal. It's not it's not a real major problem. So it's 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 a norm for them as well because they're mistrust in the, in the um, mental health profession. You know, they have a tendency of stepping back and say, okay, we'll we'll use prayer, we'll use religion to help us deal with these situations, or we'll handle it our own way. So definitely understanding their behaviors, recognizing their behaviors. And, you know, in their own experiences as a parent, definitely impacts that. Well, you mentioned something that I want to hone in on. You talked about the lack of trust in the mental health professionals. How does this lack of trust influence um, a family's or, or parents' uh, mental health understanding or understanding of mental health? Well, in my experience, a lot of families, they have un- unsuccessful treatment. You know, and a lot of times, a lot of us professional counselors don't understand the black culture, don't understand black children. And and, and, and under that premise, uh, they tend to deal with black children differently. And because then the, the lack of understanding and lack of knowledge toward the black culture, they have a tendency to, you know, misdiagnose children or, you know, their treatment options aren't, aren't unnecessary or good enough for that child. So that mistrust starts to set in. And then our parent begins to, you know, have a lack of understanding as well within that mistrust. So I think that's that's a major part and a major important part of that um, that process. So Dr. Belter, what are your views on how the black community can build mental health literacy among black families? What can the community do? I think the community can start to and continue to normalize mental health treatment. So a part of what Mr. Key was just mentioning with this distrust, I think that communities need to be, community mental health agencies specifically, need to be truly invested in the community and showing up to function, showing up to community town halls, maybe even living in some of these communities or close to the communities um, so that they can show that they are actually committed to the full family and the full picture of this community, not just kind of coming in and perpetuating some of the things that historically has been done by medical and mental health professionals on marginalized communities. So what are some of the challenges to actually building mental health literacy in Black families? Are Black families you know, open to talking about mental health and receiving information on mental health? Um, what are some of the challenges that we may be missing? Um, I think even like, um, more people are seeking therapy. There's still this group of people indicating that what happens in the house stays in the house and similar rhetoric. So I think that it would be beneficial for, I know I've heard a lot of people kind of my age, a little older and definitely younger who are working on breaking these generational curses. And I think that middle health illiteracy is a part of that. So you hear people talking about, I'm going to therapy or people asking each other, Hey, what's a good therapist? Do you know any black therapists? And that's being like kind of sent around um, a little bit. And I think that would be something that would help. But the challenge is on the other end, you still have people potentially from older generations kind of looking down on this sense as if they, people are complaining. So I think if we turn that language from complaining and more for, to advocacy or even just a sense of strength, that can help. 
Sometimes the black, but and sometimes as well, and to, and to add to what she's saying, also as well, one thing about the black culture is that there's a religious aspect to um, some of the challenges when it comes to building um, mental health literacy. And and for the black community, instead of seeking knowledge around the mental health, we use religion as an as apparatus to manage our mental health thoughts, and and we use that to trust, and we use our trust and faith and prayer to overcome those mental health challenges. You know, I'll just pray my way through this and trust God. Uh, I, and I believe that's a good approach, you know, because it helps to identify strengths and coping skills. However, mental health counseling and collaboration with those religious factors can actually produce positive outcomes. You know, and I think that is something we need to understand as a black community that always appear to evade us at times when dealing with mental health. And within the black community, there are factors such as homelessness, you know, lack of resources, transportation, high prevalence of substance abuse, and adequate social support and racism that are also challenges you know, to receive a treatment, understanding mental health literacy in the Black family as well. I think this is like a two-part to what you asked, but I think in addition to what was just said in regards to religion, I've seen more and more preachers and pastors, ministers speaking to their congregation and indicating, you know, we're one part of the equation and here are mental health resources. So people are getting that information in the church, which I think is very beneficial to altering the way Black communities, marginalized communities look at mental health. Um, and I also think some of the challenges which are being mentioned are the time constraints around therapy. Oftentimes, the agencies that are in these communities are ones that aren't that strict nine to five or even eight to four. And if someone is working, they can't justifiably lose a wage to take their child or themselves into therapy because in the moment, they need to make sure they continue to have food for their families and shelter. So as long as we continue to have services that are strictly within that time constraint in those communities, I think it'll still have a negative impact on mental health literacy. So it sounds like the the treatment options need to be a little bit more flexible to meet the needs of the community members or the the Black families. Um, I think they need to be a little more flexible, but I also think that there needs to be a better sense of funding and support for those professionals. I believe they're doing all they can, but if we're going to want and it would really benefit for them to be out in the community if they're not getting paid enough to balance that type of time commitment then it's kind of twofold there yes and in my experience i have worked with families to where they they lack the resources and she's talking about time constraints and that's absolutely correct because of the challenge that they have some of the socioeconomic economic challenge transportation challenges you know prevents them to seeking out those uh, mental health uh, treatment services and things like that. So, yes, um, Black families do have those challenges and they're very difficult at times. And in my experience, you know, there, there is a need and there is a desire to seek mental health services, but because of those lack of resources, they can't seek, that, seek those services. So it becomes so it becomes stagnated, you know, and not realm, so to speak, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Now, one more, sorry, one more thing. This is actually a really loaded question, but I think also the last piece is making sure people know you don't have to be so far, you know, bad off to need therapy. It needs to be understanding that therapy can be for good and bad and people can come in. It doesn't have to be a sense of, are you bad enough or your issues hard enough that you can now somehow you've reached this point where you can go to therapy. It can be for anyone. Great point. You don't, you don't have to hit rock bottom. You know, it's right. about recognizing and being aware of who you are as an individual, recognizing symptoms, recognizing 
you know, your moves and things like that. Because you, you don't want to hit rock bottom. You know, you, you want to try to prevent from getting to that point or that place in your life. But then it's very important that you recognize those things early on. Now, we talked, you guys talked about a number of things that I think is so important. And I have a couple of follow-up questions, but one of them pertains to this idea of social economic status. Would you say, or in your experiences, that um, social economic status influences, you know, mental health literacy? Um, meaning, you know, maybe people with more resources have a better understanding and people with less resources have less understanding? Or, or does that not play a role at all? I think SES absolutely plays a role. Um, when I even think about just the, the children and families that I've worked with, I've worked with family, you know, they're at a certain school district. And when they're met again with a child who may have some conduct disorder, behavioral issues, they get, of course, met with the police detention centers. Whereas other kids in higher SES, where they have the adequate services in the school and in the community, they end up with therapy. But it's the same behaviors. So I think because of the lower SES, it even frames the way people view different providers, such as social workers. People in lower SES view it as someone who might come in and disrupt your family. Slightly higher resources, our SES might see it as a place for resources. And as you continue to go up, shows that access and the awareness of what social services can really provide. And you also, Mr. Key, mentioned the religious aspect. And you you talked about, yes, there is a movement um, amongst some of the um, younger uh, ministers who will say, you know, you need God and you need a counselor, right? And so some of the larger churches have even incorporated licensed mental health professionals as a part of their team to meet the needs of their congregation. However, that's not everywhere. Um, You still have the ministers that hold on to the belief that um, this can be prayed out of you. And how, in your view, when you're talking about parents and children, how is that impacting the needs of children. Because right now in the Black community, there is really an epidemic amongst Black youth suicide. And so when we look at religion, what role is religion playing in how parents seek help for their children? Actually, religion is actually a great a great thing, actually, because uh, it helps to build faith and it helps and it gives me that foundation to have something to trust and to believe in. And that's their God. You know, that's that's their religious higher power. So it, it influences them in a positive way. However, they still need the coping skills in order to deal with the everyday symptoms related that can possibly lead to, to you know, suicidal ideations, you know, hurting themselves or falling to a uh, sense of depression. And I think that it's important that they still seek that. But sometimes my experience working with families, you know, the parent is, the, is at the forefront of, of, this, of this movement because the child looks to that parent for that guidance. And when that, when that parent holds that religious um, perspective over that child, then it's embedded in that child. And that, you know, religion is the, the, the do-it-all or the, you know, it's how you seek help for your you know, mental health issues. You know, so that child is looking to that as well. And sometimes because of their strong belief in God, they have a tendency to not step out of that. Because sometimes you hear over and over again within the church and within the church that, you know, trust God, trust God, trust God. And that's all perfect. That's fine. That's what they should do. And that's something that I also want to encourage because it is a strength. It is a coping skill. It is a mechanism used for them to, you know, manage their emotions, manage their, you know, symptoms of depression, you know, manage their ideas. You know, they use scripture and things like that to address, you know, their thoughts and their feelings and emotions. 
And I think that's very important. But also, just it just imagine imagine someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, you know. And a lot of the times, most church folks would go and get that medication for cancer, would get that chemotherapy, right? Because that's very important to, you know, for, for the, the, the curing and healing process. God can heal you through that process. And that's and sometimes, you know, when 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 people are of faith, that's that's all they link to for is faith. You can have faith throughout that process of healing. You can have faith throughout the process of chemotherapy and still be healed in that process. So Yes, uh, religion is very important. Also, collaborate with a, uh, with a mental health professional can give you the skills you need to help you deal with the emotional part of it. Because even though you have a faith and a trust in your higher power, you're still dealing with, you know, you know, I'm still dealing with, you know, different moods. I'm still dealing with anger. You're still dealing with, you know, depressive symptoms. You're still hurt. You're still sad. You're still crying. So how do you deal with those symptoms? You know, so mental health professionals will give you those skills to deal with that. As you walk in your faith. Thank you for that. So, um, a recent article by Huffington Post argued that there is a need for mental health literacy in order for Black people to begin to heal. However, it was noted that in order for us to increase mental health literacy amongst Blacks, that the context of Blacks or the position of Blacks in society must be addressed, that there should be a social justice focus on mental health literacy. And they called it this term social justice informed mental health literacy. And it's defined um, as mental health education framed in social historical context of inequality that aids in the skills building, healing, and liberation of communities. Now, I wanted to get your ideas about that. Why is this important if we want to increase mental health literacy amongst Black families? I think there's several answers to this. One being that I've taught multicultural counseling this fall with my master's students. I had this period of time where I had to almost like reteach them counseling. The way the counseling is being taught currently is if mental uh, multicultural counseling is some new form of counseling. When in reality, the principles that we're teaching are the same principles from counseling, but we're just urging them as this social justice informed mental health literacy is defining it of paying attention to the historical context. But if we're thinking about the core features of counseling and paying attention to the whole person, uh, if you're doing any Rogerian humanistic practices, you should be looking at the person as this unique individual and what are the things impacting them. Uh, so if we, I think if we didn't teach people as if you have an option of doing traditional counseling versus multicultural counseling or having this social justice uh, informed mental health, then that could help this situation. And then I'm also thinking about trauma-informed care and that if we were to approach everyone with some sense of trauma-informed practices, then you would be able to hold space and really address their needs, again, from a one-to-one perspective. Because if we don't acknowledge it, then people, there's just going to continue to be this innate distrust. Good point. So in your opinion, how do we use, how do we do this? How do we build mental health literacy within this, this construct of a social and historical nature of, of the you know injustices of black people 
I think some of the basic, you know, the basic small things and reference to that, just, just seeking knowledge through certain resources by reading the research, understanding how one feels, seeking out mental health professionals for understanding the benefits, you know, of mental health, you know, and those benefits may be believed that that that's out there may have believed never existed for that black individual, for the black community, you know, hosting community forums or events, you know, that address mental health, you know, informational websites that may help them recognize symptoms of depression or other mental health issues as well. Those are some of the basic things that can be done um, as far as, you know, mental health literacy or increasing mental health literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that if providers acknowledge what has been done, trust can actually be built. Marginalized individuals have this lack of trust and want to see who's really sitting across from them, regardless of race or ethnicity. Um, they want to know if you're aligning yourself with this person of power and privilege. And are you honestly willing to acknowledge how risky it is to engage in therapy, specifically for them when we think about, you know, historically, the, the different treatments and uh, forms of treatment which have been tested out on black and brown bodies, there's going to be this distrust. So people want to know who's sitting across from them. And if that person isn't willing to, I'll say, get a little dirty, get their hands dirty, really get into the mix, then the person will not trust them because you have all the power and you're just continuing to operate it, operate within it. And I do believe that this trust was handed down from you know, slavery and all that, the time in which this central lunatic asylum um, for color, the color insane was actually built. Because one of the premises behind this asylum was that people who are free, free slaves, those were the ones who would get mental health issues. And those slaves who were still slaves um, they don't have mental health issues, right? And so it was built on, and that's where that distrust and all of that came into play. And then it's been handed down generation after generation to the point where people don't even believe that mental health challenges impact Black people. Um, For instance, when we talk about Black youth suicide, it was always considered that that was a white issue. It was not a Black issue. And I'm talking about in terms of the, the discussions and stuff that may happen in, in Black families, right? But now we know that it's an epidemic and it's, and it's larger than what we see. But at the same time, Black families don't know how to even address it or even recognize that these are red flags, these are warning signs. I shouldn't let this get that bad. And, and so they don't know where to turn. Um, and so building this, understanding the historical context is so important in order to really build mental health literacy. We have to understand that you, you really don't, uh, you know, trust counselors. You don't trust, you know, these professionals. And I understand that that distrust is there, right? Maybe recognizing it. However, this is the type of person I am. And I'm here to support you and help you make the best decisions for your family, right? So giving them some of the power to make those decisions without making it feel as if they have no power in making those decisions. Um, And many times Black families do feel they have no power. I've spoken to a Black parent who was going to an IEP appointment, right, at school. And IEP is, you know, they're looking at this individualized educational plan for a child. They're saying this child has challenges. And the parent thought that they just had to go with whatever the school was saying. And I said, no, you are there to listen, but you don't have to agree, right? You don't have to sign the IEP. You have rights as a parent to not sign it, but you need to make an education, an educated decision, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so that's where this sort of trust really plays a big role because how can we begin to build mental health literacy if we have not addressed the fact that Black people just don't trust the system, the man. And I, I, I want to go back, if I, if I may, uh, Dr. Sparky, I'm going to go back to what we it was mentioned previously about the mental health professional mm-hmm. and as far as how, and I plan on how we do this, how we increase mental health literacy. And one of the things that the council community, you know, this should become more familiar with the needs of the African-American community. And that's a must. And I, and I think in some cases, uh, those mental health professionals lack that understanding. How you become familiar with those needs? And they, they can become familiar with those needs to research-based approaches surrounding that particular culture. Become familiarized with the challenges of the Black community that the Black community had to do for hundreds of years. Understanding the economic system, justice system, et cetera, as it relates to Black people. You know, so additionally, outlining other factors, you know, such as, you know, access to the mental health treatment. You know, there are issues related to service delivery that could be different amongst racial, ethnic groups, especially in the Black community. And this can possibly help a therapist grasp an understanding of how, you know, to properly and appropriately implement an integrated approach to providing quality mental health mental health services to the Black community. Also, you know, they can, uh, you know, adopt, you know, a comprehensive framework and best practices, you know, geared to address mental health issues for the Black community, which I believe is currently broken, you know, in most cases at least. And that could probably un- undermine the disappropriateness related to risk of acquiring mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So just to add that piece in there as well. Thank you for that, Mr. Key. In order for us to increase help-seeking behaviors in the Black community, we must have a focus in on strengthening Black families and giving them the knowledge needed to effectively address mental health challenges. What other challenges that we may not have um, discussed so far um, that you believe families face today in trying to understand mental health diagnosis? I think a pretty big challenge is understanding that things may get worse before they get better once someone seeks mental health treatment. Um, I think when somebody finally gets up the nerve and decide to go do it, there's this hope that there will be some type of quick fix or there'll be some immediate return on this investment because we've acknowledged there's a lot of investment here of time and money um, and all other factors. But I think that there needs to be a true, honest conversation, which goes back to earlier points with the social justice informed treatment. People need to make it, put it all on the table or providers need to put it all on the table. Uh, So the treatment takes time and it also means a person is stabilized, but it's not always as smooth as a path as anyone would want. And and I want to, and I I agree with that. And and to pick back on that, I have worked with clients who are going through this this counseling process, the therapeutic process, you know, hoping for a quick fix. They want that turnaround in in one week or two weeks, but I always have to, um, you know, have that conversation with them. Hey, this is going to take some time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, there's going to be some ups and downs, some challenges. And sometimes, there may, be, there may be some you know, steps taken backwards, you know, but it belongs to keep, you know, pressing forward on this on this path for, you know, positive outcomes. And then, you know, they start to see some progress, you know, then that kind of builds confidence in the therapeutic process as well. So and I have to have path that I'll constantly make these parents and these children aware of that as well. So some would say that this rise and suicide deaths amongst Black children is the result of the inability for Black families to identify and address symptoms that mediate suicide, such as depression. What is your response to this? No, that's a great question. Can you elaborate on that question a little more? I'll go back for that question for me, please. 
I think that's a great question. But I kind of want to uh, hear you repeat it one more time for me. Some would say that the rise in suicide deaths amongst Black children is the result of the inability for Black families to identify and address symptoms that mediate suicide, such as depression. So something that came to mind when you told me that is, is I, I had a conversation with a Black mother once, and she told me the story of how she saw the signs of depression and in her child and sought help and was told that it wasn't that serious. So she listened at first, but at the second sign, she took leave and dedicated the time to make sure that her son lived. She said there was no way she was going to bury her son. So all parents don't have that luxury. This family was able to stay intact. The home wasn't lost and food was bought and bills were, uh, were still paid. But that has, uh, that has become a luxury like in the United States. So keeping your child alive is a luxury for all marginalized families. And I think that there is a part of this uh, lack of mental health literacy, but it's also the fact that pe- parents will go to the doctor and then they're dismissed. So I think some of that blame, if you will, has to go back on the mental health community and providers for continue to perpetuate the sense of ignoring when people come in. And even though we're trying to combat it by saying mental health is for everyone or mental health treatment is for everyone, there are still even providers who feel as though they don't want to waste their time or their skills on a certain type of person. So this family was, this mom was able to do the unthinkable in a sense of like, quitting her job or having a job that was supportive enough, but every person doesn't have that. And um, I think that it it shouldn't have to take that much of a sacrifice to make sure a child doesn't succumb to suicide because of any different um, mental health diagnosis. Thank you for that. And and I think your, your example is important because right now we're seeing um, a lot of studies focusing on how black women who have babies, their pain levels and things like that are being ignored by doctors. And so they're not getting the treatment that they need and therefore they are dying as well. Um, And so it sounds like it is a historical problem where black families and black individuals, it's it's as if they're not believed um, that they're having these issues and therefore they're not receiving the proper treatment. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both for sharing some time with me today. I think we we just scratched the surface on this discussion of mental health and mental health literacy amongst Black families and Black parents. But I think it's a discussion that we have to have and we have to continue to have. If, and if we're going to actually change some of these challenges that really impact how Black families can address mental health within their family. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was a wonderful uh, experience, and I greatly appreciate it. So thank you, listeners, for listening to Making It Plain with your host, Dr. Key. If you are experiencing symptoms of depression and feeling suicidal, please contact 1-800-273-8255. Please subscribe to Making It Plain to stay up to date on the latest issues impacting Black families, Black communities, and Black women. Visit us on Instagram to stay up to date with the ex- with our upcoming shows. You can visit us on the web at www.thedrkey.com for more information. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Making It Plain with your host, Dr. Key. 
This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Sparkman Key Consulting, LLC. Check us out at www.thedrkey.com.